It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, crossover edition, with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. Today on Home Court Press, Parker Fleming from SBN Grizzlies and the Core 4 podcast joins McCade and I to talk through the first round series between the Utah Jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies. We talk Mike Conley, what each team needs to do to win the series, and we wrap it up with our predictions for the series. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk, crossover edition. Welcome into Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. We got another special edition going on today. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined as always by McCade Pearson. McCade, how you doing, man? We know our opponent. I don't know if you can say, as always, you abandoned me the other day for a crossover oh, pod. As, um, as most of the time. Know, as always, except for that one episode. <laughs> but I'm good. I'm excited to play the Grizzlies. I think in the course of my life, there's only been one playoff series where I've watched it and not absolutely just hated the other team by the end of it, and that was last year against Denver. And I think this will be kind of similar with Memphis. I have a lot of respect for Memphis. I really enjoy watching Memphis play. And Memphis is a team I can not cheer against. I can just cheer for my jazz and not have to worry about cheering against the opposing team like I would a Golden State or a Los Angeles or whoever it may be. So I'm excited to play a team that I don't have to hate in two weeks. (laughs) That is kind of a bonus. I've got to agree with you. And we are joined by a uh, Grizzlies writer for SB Nation. We've got Parker Fleming coming on the pod. Parker, how are you doing today? I mean, the Grizzlies won last night. They knocked out Steph Curry and Draymond Green. I mean, what more can be said? (laughs) I'm feeling good. It's beautiful outside. And I'm ready for some playoff basketball. Have you come down from the high of victory last night? No, not really. Um, <laughs> I, I'm still kind of just relishing in the victory. And, you know, John Morant, he looked like a – he had said like a month ago on TNT, he said I'm a top five point guard. I know a lot of people are like, oh, okay, man. But he backed it up when it mattered most. He went toe-to-toe with Steph Curry. But, man, Dylan Brooks just rising to that challenge of guarding Steph Curry. You know – I, I tweet a lot about him because I'm what they call like the one of the founding fathers of Dylan Brooks Island. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I had people in my comments like, oh, he dropped 39. But if you look at what Dylan Brooks did specifically, if you watched that game, you knew he had to, Steph had to work for every yeah. single shot. He was being denied, face fronted. I think it was ESPN that tweeted out where last night Dylan Brooks limited Curry to 6-15 of 15 shooting and .85 points per play in the win last night. And against everyone else, I mean, Curry kind of had his way. He was able to shake off ball. Yeah, it was, I think, 0.85 points per play and somewhere around 1.15. Um, it was a pretty yeah, big swing. Not, nonetheless, and, Steph got easier looks when Dylan Brooks was in Guardian. Well, I think it's, it's yeah, kind of similar to with the Jazz. And when you look at the raw numbers on guys that Royce O'Neal defends, you might think that Royce isn't a very good defender. But when you compare it to Royce defending a guy like Steph versus the rest of the Jazz defending a guy like Steph, it's night and day different. And that's, yeah, Dylan Brooks, is what he did defensively against Steph last night and just forcing him into tough looks. And then once Steph would give up the ball, not allowing him to get it back easily made all the difference in that game last night, I thought. Yeah, I I think the biggest thing, too, with what the Grizzlies did is they put so much pressure on Steph and on the defense. They they forced just a lot of turnovers last night. Uh, John, John Moran had five steals by himself. Xavier Tillman had three. Grayson had four, didn't he? Grayson had four, yeah. So 
they, they were just locked in defensively. And, you know, this isn't the same, like, grit and grind team of the past. You know, they play a little more up-tempo. They shoot mm-hmm. a lot more threes. But that defensive intensity and that defensive level of attention is still there from this Grizzlies team. And it's fun. Yeah, the Warriors had 21 turnovers last night to the Grizzlies 13. Wow. So it was one, one hell of a performance. It was very fun to watch. And I'm just happy that after two years, really, of rebuilding, you can't even say two years. They were in the play-in game both years of rebuilding. And they're finally getting to get those playoff experience minutes and getting those playoff scars, as people like to call it. It's just going to be massive for this team going forward. So, yeah, I think you hit it nail on the head there when you're talking about just how quick of a turnaround the Grizzlies have had. Um, you guys hired uh, Zach Kleeman a couple years ago, um, and he immediately came in. He turned things around in basically a calendar year. He got great packages for Mark Gasol and Mike Conley, and then he used those assets to flip them. I mean, you guys got uh, Melton from that Conley trade. You guys went out and got a uh, – just as Winslow hasn't quite worked out like you'd hoped in that Conley trade. You flipped all those. You got Andre Godala, who then you flipped, again, as a uh, secondary piece of that Conley trade to where – Everything just happens so fast and such a quick rebuild with such a good coaching staff that you guys, I don't want to say you're a step ahead of where you should be because you're very well-deserved in the playoffs, but things are definitely moving in the right direction at Memphis. No, you're, you're absolutely right, though. They're, they're way ahead of schedule. And, I mean, if you would have told me, let's say after the Mike Conley trade, that they would be like this and that they would be in the thick of things and in the playoffs after two years, I, I would be like, all right, you're crazy. I mean, hell, even at the beginning of this season – you had, after John Morant sprained his ankle and they were already without Jaron Jackson and Justin mm. Winslow, people were starting to ask about Kay Cunningham or Jalen Green. And over the span of a couple of months, because of just the ability of the Grizzlies, especially the complimentary guys, just stepping up and embodying that next man up mentality, uh, it, the conversations quickly turned to, okay, who do we want in a first-round matchup? And I'm just like, oh, wow, this is a shift, but... It kind of increased expectations a little bit around around the city, around Twitter, around the media. Uh, I, I kind of stayed level-headed just because I knew that, like you said, they're ahead of schedule, and any amount of experience they get is going to be a win. And now they're going to get to go up against a very good Utah team and really get to show what they got on a national scale. Well, I've been impressed by this Grizzlies team. I personally, going into this year, I didn't have them in the playoffs, and not because I didn't expect them to get better. I just looked at the rest of the Western Conference and thought that the competition was so great and the Grizzlies were so young that they would probably be a better team but end up as the, the 10th or 11th seed just because they— you know, the, the growth and the learning curve for guys like Ja Morant, I mean, it's not just— any rookie, it's the point guard. It's the guy running the entire team. It's the straw that stirs the drink. And I didn't see a path for this Grizzlies team to be able to make the playoffs. And what they've done this year, you talked about some of the injuries. I mean, that John Morant ankle sprain, and he ended up missing, what was it, two or three weeks from that one. And when he came back, he Mm -hmm. didn't look healthy. It still took him another month to really look like the best version of himself. And they've they've been amazing with this youth movement. And I, I... don't it might be a strong comparison, but I kind of look at the the Thunder team when they had KD and Russ and Harden, and they were growing up, and they lost to the Lakers in the one eight matchup. Think this Grizzlies team has some some comparisons with how young they are and that youth and talent on the team that they're just kind of scratching the surface right now. 
Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Granted, with Oklahoma, that Oklahoma City comparison, they, they don't have anybody on the caliber of Kevin Durant. I mean, I would probably say just at the similar stages of prospect-wise, I think John Durant, Russell Westbrook on that same level. But I just think uh, they just surrounded those guys with uh, – I want to steal a, a phrase from uh, Chris Vernon of The Ringer and of Grind City Media, the Grizzlies media entity. I like Vernon. Just got a, Vernon's awesome. Yeah, but they just – they got a bunch of dudes that just don't suck. Like that's all they did. I mean, <laughs> you're you watched the game last night, and I mean, I don't know how high y'all are on him, but Brandon Cork is getting uh, did not play coach's decision on on games, and you have got to Justice Winslow, even though he hasn't really been who they thought they were. Like he's still getting the DNP CDs as well. So they just got a bunch of dudes who, you know, if somebody got hurt, they can step up and not really miss a beat. I remember back in April, we thought it was going to be the, the toughest month of the season, and we thought that that was going to be the one that ultimately got them out of the playing tournament. And, you know, they, they had, at the beginning of the month, it was Jaron was out, Winslow went down with a side contusion, Brandon Clark went down with some hamstring stuff, and then D'Anthony Melton went down as well. But, I mean, they were giving rotation minutes to guys like John Conchar, Killian Tilly, and Xavier Tillman, and they're still humming and winning games. So it's just a testament to... The players in that next man up mentality, but also to Coach Taylor Jenkins for just embodying um, that system as well and just instilling confidence in his players to go out there, play their games, they have the green light, and if they miss, it's the next shot mentality. And that's one of the biggest things you can ask for out of a young team is just confidence from your coach that you can go out there, play your game, play freely, and you're not going to have to worry about getting pulled for making a mistake. So in your mind, what's been the most important thing for this Grizzlies team as they've been able to load the roster with more talent? Like you said, a bunch of guys who just don't suck. I mean, has it been Taylor Jenkins and his developmental approach? Is it the system that he puts in place? Is it just the guys on the roster? They've got a lot of talent. They have a high ceiling, and guys like John ja Morant are you know, trying to reach that ceiling, you've got Valanchunas as uh, I love Jonas Valanchunas, I, and I don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to even get McCade started on how much he loves JV. I think if we could had to replace Rudy Gobert, JV is probably your your number one vote, right, McCade? Oh yeah, for sure, top two or three. Um, yeah, I'd have to really think about it, but we'll say number one. I love, yeah, I'm a huge uh, Biba guy as well. So any of the European centers, I'm a big fan of. But what's been the most important piece to the the Grizzlies being able to develop and get into the play-in two years in a row and now knock off a far more experienced Warriors team and in a close game, a a game where I felt like the Warriors had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to really put a stranglehold on it and take a lead and pull away, and the Grizzlies never let them do it. What's been the key to this, this team developing to the level they're at right now? I think anybody in the Grizzlies organization would tell you this. I've heard it firsthand from people in the organization, but getting John Morant with the second pick and just getting that lottery luck, I think there were eighth or something in lottery odds when that draft was up. I still remember going to um, some little uh, brewery called Casual Pint with two of my good friends, uh, Brandon Abraham, who writes me over at Grizzly Bear Blues, and uh, Connor Dunning, who's a radio producer at the local radio station here. And we were just like flipping out in the bar, and nobody had any idea why, <laughs> because it was just bingo, it was just bingo night. Like, and they're like, "Why?" And everyone's catching on because 
originally everybody's like, oh, oh shit, we may get Zion. But they got probably the best constellation of all. And I'm not even going to say it's a constellation. I mean, John Morant is just that dude. He's that dude. He's a killer. Uh, we, we've had people try to like figure out kind of like what his mentality is similar to. You know, he's, he's a bit of AI. He's a bit of, like, has that mama mentality a little bit. I heard like just the mentality of Jimmy Butler thrown out there where it was just like he doesn't care about stats. He's just going to go out there and do whatever it takes to win the game. And, I mean, he's just one of one. And I think he's a big reason why the Grizzlies are where they are. I mean, Taylor Jenkins, he deserves credit. Uh, I'll even go out there and say Kyle Anderson deserves a lot of credit, too. He expanded that three-point shot. He really stepped up at the four position, which we've all known is his natural position when uh, Jaron Jackson was out all season. And But when it all comes down to it, it's Ja. It is Ja. He's the engine of this team. As he goes, the team goes. And last night was the biggest evidence of that. Talking about John Morant, how did you feel early in that ball game? What was it, the first two or three minutes when he hit two three-pointers? And the perimeter shooting has been the biggest bugaboo in his game early in his career. He hits those two threes. Where was your confidence level on a scale of 1 to 10 at that point? 10. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just a believer in John Morant's shot. Granted, is he going to hit five threes every game? No. But I know that he, he hasn't hit five threes once in his career before last night. No. Nope. But, I mean, over the past, like, month or month and a half, he's shot, like, 38% from three. I think he's more in that, like, 34, 36 range. But, I mean, even then, if you have John Morant doing that for, like, four or five attempts a game, each game, just imagine what that does to the Grizzlies' offense as far as opening up driving lanes for him, uh, freeing up space for his teammates. I mean, it's just the big – I think, honestly, the big ceiling raiser for John Morant's game is just that mid-range jumper, that pull-up in the mid-range – I mean, he's got that floater down, too, so he's just becoming tougher and tougher to guard every single game. I love his aggressiveness, and he just attacks the basket relentlessly. And I haven't seen him as much this year. Last year, he tried to dunk over a couple guys when he like he tried to clear, was it Kevin Love? And I just had some concerns that Ja Morant was going to die on one of those dunk attempts. And he was, he was going to come down, and it was going to be bad news, and it seems like he's reined that in a little bit and still attacks, still does a great job getting to the basket, and he's a hell of a finisher. I just, I, I really love his game and the way it's developing. McCade, let me ask you a question. As we transition to talking about this Jazz Grizzlies first-round series, what do you think is the most important matchup? Oh, I think it's Rudy Gobert and uh, JV. They've been going at it for, has it been a decade now? Um, they played a lot in their youth when they were back in Europe um, at some under whatever age tournament in Europe and whatnot. So they're good friends. They're good rivals. They've played each other for well before they've made it to the NBA. And I think that's where this series is going to be decided. And obviously, Rudy Gobert is an all-NBA player and a defensive player of the year and has the advantage over JV. But the, JV's ability to just drain the energy out of opposing team, um, out of the opposing team is just incredible. And so... The longer this series goes, the harder and harder it's going to be for the Jazz to match the Grizzlies' energy. Um, that being said, the Grizzlies are about to play their 14th game in 24 days. They had their COVID struggles earlier in the year, and so they've just been going, 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 going. But their depth and their physicality is just something to, that's really hard to match for seven straight games. So, Parker, I mean, McCade mentioned the Grizzlies' schedule recently. What impact is that going to have on this series? Are the Grizzlies going to come into this one as an exhausted, listless team? I, I, I tend to think that these first two games are huge, huge favorites for the Jazz because, one, on Sunday the Grizzlies are going to be exhausted, 
And I just, they're, that, I mean, that's it. That's the biggest point. They're going to come in here, and I feel like the Grizzlies are going to be on empty. What have you seen from this Grizzlies team this season? How have they been able to combat that? Obviously, the schedule's been tough for everybody. So are they at more of a disadvantage this year, having to go through both of those play-in games than they would normally be? I don't know. It's really tough to to kind of gauge that. I mean, I think they just kind of battle through it just by togetherness and just with the depth of their team. Like if somebody isn't on one night, they have somebody else who can step in and just uh, take some burden off the shoulders. I mean, John Moran isn't scoring 30 points a night. I mean, there's a lot of nights where he's only scoring like 12, 15 points a game. I mean, you have Valanciunas who goes off for, you know, like maybe like a monster, like 25 and 15 or you have Dylan Brooks going for about between 20 and 25. You have uh, D'Anthony Melton was a guy who had been awesome all season long, but you can kind of see the the, the compact schedule kind of getting him a little bit. I mean, Xavier Tillman stepped up. I mean, I, think, I just think they get through it just because of depth. Like it's just a strength in numbers kind of thing of, all right, well, this guy's in on, but this we have this guy who's hitting shots, and he's going to kind of take the burden off of him a little bit. Uh, I, I don't really know what to expect in that regard when it comes to the series. I just think I mean, just a lot of adrenaline going to be locked in. I mean, this is a good, deep team. I, I just think they, I, I think they'll be fine in that regard. I don't think it's going to sway any sort of expectations either way. Like if they had all that rest, I don't know how much it would sway this series in particular, just because of the matchup problems that it poses. But mm-hmm. I mean, I like it. Do you think that the the three regular season games between these two teams, the Jazz winning all three of those, but a couple of them were pretty close games, do you think those are a reflection of what we're going to see in this series continued? Uh, I tend to think that the return of Triple J is actually going to make a pretty big difference. Even if he is playing limited minutes, his length and athleticism, that's been something that's given the Jazz problems all year. And so I think that these games overall are probably going to end up being a lot closer and are tighter than will be tighter than most jazz fans are expecting. What are your thoughts on that? Man, I think the biggest thing as far as Jaron Jackson coming back is just what it does to Rudy Gobert defensively because with his three-point shot, Gobert has to go out and contest. Like He can't just sit and drop coverage when he's having to guard uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. He, he'll make him pay from three. So, I mean, that's going to be big. It's just, I, I don't really know. It's a kind of a mixed bag each night with Jaron Jackson at the moment just because of where he is as a um, with his foul trouble right now. I mean, we saw last night he was kind of out of it a little bit. I mean, he had 4,015 minutes, just wasn't ne- was never able to get into like any sort of rhythm defensively yeah. or anything. And, I mean, coach didn't roll with him at, to close that game last night. I mean, it was fine. I mean, I mean, I saw again like in Sacramento, for example. He only played 20 minutes because he had five fouls. Or against Toronto, he had five fouls and only played 25 minutes. I mean, granted, they kind of like eased up on the uh, minute restriction once he uh, came, once he entered the starting lineup. He played 31 minutes against Golden State, still had five fouls. So it's just going to come down to foul trouble for him. If he's because the problem with him and his foul trouble, it's not one of those things where it's like he gets one in the first quarter, then he'll pick up like one in the second. And then, like, get the rest of the three somewhere spaced out in the third and the fourth. He gets them in bunches. Like, he'll, like, pick up too quick, and he's going to have to get out of the game because he can't get them a third in the first quarter. And I, I think it, it's a part of his youth and just his energy defensively. He just tries to block everything, for one. But also, too, I mean, I, I think this is kind of a valid point as well is 
he's got this reputation of being a fowler, so sometimes he gets these like ticky tack calls, but they're like, mm-hmm. well, he was yeah. around the situation, he's a notorious fowler, he must have fouled him, you know? So let's shift gears here a little bit and dive into some of the potential matchups and numbers and you know quirky things that could happen over the next four to seven games between these two teams. Um, I've kind of looked through some things, and I have a few reasons why I think the Jazz will win, a few reasons why I think the Grizzlies might be able to pull off the upsets. And then if we have time, maybe I'll talk about some doubts I have about the Jazz. Um, so first of all, we mentioned earlier, Rudy Gobert's just out of this world. And if the Jazz win this series, especially comfortably, it's going to be because Rudy Gobert had an amazing series, and there's not much more to talk about there other than he's just a top 15 All-NBA player every single season, and it's good to have one of those on the court. Um, one thing I'm super interested going into this series, though, is because of the style of the plays going on is um, how these two teams are going to shoot. So the Jazz are the number one team in the NBA by a huge margin in making more threes than their opponent. The Jazz are first and three-pointers made per game, and they're first and three-pointers against per game for a net of 5.86 more threes than their opponent. But on the flip side of the ball, um, the Grizzlies are number two in the league in making more two-point shots than their opponent. So the Grizzlies are going to pound inside, um, and Rudy Gobert will help slow that down a little bit. But the two-versus-three math and calculation is going to be a big part in this series. Do you think the Grizzlies have enough shooting to keep some games close when the Jazz are getting up all their shots and making four, five, six more threes in the Grizzlies? I say I hope so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, for one, it does come down to Jared Jackson Jr. finding his rhythm from three. I mean, I know another one, too, is Dylan Brooks. He had had a pretty strong last two months or so shooting the three ball. He's the team's best corner three shooter. I think he shoots 54% on corner threes, uh, 38 on catch and shoot. So, just making sure that he has those legs offensively where he could be a weapon from three and kind of uh, set off or balance things out a little more on that front. Uh, how's Grayson Allen going to respond in playoff situations? How's Desmond Bain going to respond from downtown? De'Anthony Melton. Uh, we saw Avery Tillman hit two threes last night. Uh, I think Kyle Anderson's another one who's made a big boom from three this season. I hope so, but, I mean, Utah just has those. They have shooters, man. Joe Ingles, Mike Conley. Jordan Clarkson, Royce O'Neal, uh, Donovan Mitchell. They just got a bunch of dudes that could just let that fly. And that, it's tough to keep up with because I noticed like a thing that they do. And, you know, I'm, I, I told, told you all before the show, I'm not a Gobert guy. I, I'm not really high on Gobert. I just don't <laughs> like him. Just, just don't like him. But one thing I'll give him credit on is he's done a really good job out of that pick and roll of kicking out the open shooters and the defense collapses because teams are like, oh, well, Rudy Gobert, he's 7'2", he has a normal, uh, phenomenal efficiency inside the paint. we got to guard him, and he makes them pay because he's just zipping it out to Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal or Mike Conley. They're just able to kind of just sit there, take their time, and let it fly from three. So it's going to be interesting. I hope the Grizzlies can keep up in that regard, but I think for them it's going to come down to more defending the three rather than making the three. Thanks for tuning in today. It's season two of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest as we make our return with season two playoffs edition. Look for our Jazz Bites game recaps after almost every Jazz game and our weekly Wednesday looking at happenings around the league as the playoffs unfold. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. And please, if you like what you're hearing, share, rate, and review the show so we can expand our audience. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadeP8, and you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Take note. Now back to the show. 
the other thing that I think really favors the Jazz, and I think is going to be a big part of this series, um, you mentioned earlier with uh, JJJ that just the fouling issues, um, Rudy Gobert's one of the best players in the league at drawing fouls because of his gravity towards the rim. And you've seen JV have some issues uh, over the last couple games over the season, have some foul trouble issues. And so if the Grizzlies aren't able to stay out of foul trouble, and on the other side, Gobert doesn't foul, um, part of that might be reputation, part of that's just he's an all-world defender, that the Grizzlies are going to have a really hard time keeping up with that with their depth. And they have good depth. We saw it last night. Guys stepped up. But it's hard to win games, especially against the Jazz win. Your top starters are playing you know, 25 minutes instead of 40 minutes, especially in the playoffs. Are you worried about foul trouble at all? You mentioned it earlier. Um, so is that a legit concern, or is that just a couple fluky games? No, I'm concerned. I really am. I mean, not even Jaron Jackson Jr. or Jonas Antunes, but uh, Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast launched out a, a stat that now has gotten ways into ESPN is Dylan Brooks has led the, the league in fouls for the two or for two consecutive seasons. So that's something they got to worry about too because Dylan Brooks is going to be that guy that has to guard Donovan Mitchell. And I think that's the biggest matchup of the series because uh, Mitchell, he's been hobbled just a little bit, but on, on the same side, he waxed Memphis this year. Waxed them. It was bad. I mean, he even did it to Dylan Brooks as well. So um, I, I just need I need Dylan Brooks to stay out of foul trouble, not pick up anything fluky because he, he's the most important player of the series, primarily because of what he has to do defensively to stop Donovan Mitchell. To go along with the potential concerns about foul trouble and stuff, a lot of times foul trouble lends itself to younger teams, and they're more likely to be more aggressive and you know, make mistakes with their fouls. It's one thing to, like, Rudy Gobert does a great job of using his fouls when it actually matters and not, you know, fouling a guy after a defensive rebound in the backcourt. And that's something that we see with Dylan Brooks from time to time. But do you ever worry just with the relative youth and inexperience from this Grizzlies team? I mean, looking through the the roster, there's a handful of guys, five or six guys that are in their first or second year that are playing important rotation minutes and, yeah, they've played in three play-in games now over the last two seasons, but they've never been in that the fire, the crucible of a first-round playoff series. What is that relative lack of experience? What's the impact going to be on this Grizzlies team? Is it something that they can overcome? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if it's really just experience. I mean, also, at the beginning of the show, Utah's been the best team in the league all season long. I mean, you're, you're gonna, it's an uphill battle. Just need to sit through a game, sit through a game plan, and just let whatever happens, happens. Because no matter what, this is Coach Jenkins, he said all year long, he stressed growth opportunities. Even in the, big, the biggest, most embarrassing losses, I mean, they've lost to Detroit. They've lost to uh, the Clippers, who are resting all their rotation players except for Kennard, Terrence Mann, and Marcus Morris. They've lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They've lost. They've had some bad losses, and even through that, Coach Jenkins just points to just growth opportunities. That any situation that you're in, win or loss, it's a growth opportunity for this team. I mean, they are the youngest team in the league. I want to say the stat out there, but they're the third youngest team to make the playoffs in the past ten years. Wow! So that that experience is going to play a big factor. Because, I mean, you have guys like Mike. Con- I mean, we know straight up Mike Conley has playoff experience firsthand. I mean, Rudy Gobert has his playoff scars. So it is Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich. 
another good three. Sorry, I didn't even mention Bouillon Bandana. He's a laser from three points. But it, it's going to be an uphill battle regardless. But I, I think also, too, that youthful experience could kind of swing in their favor just a little bit at times, just how they get out and transition, create runs, stuff along those lines. It, it's going to be a fun series regardless. But the experience is going to show, and I hope, I just hope people are ready for that because it's going to happen. You mentioned Mike Conley. I want to ask you really quick. Sorry, McKay. I know I told you to take the next question, but I feel like we have to ask what it's like for you emotionally as a Grizzlies fan to know that you're going to be playing one of the franchise's all-time favorites in the first playoff series that you've been in in several years. It's surreal, man. Uh, Mike Conley, like you will not see me root against Mike Conley. Uh, in this playoff series, I, I will never, I will not do anything to slander that man. Am I going to openly cheer for him when he makes a three point shot or hits a clutch shot? No, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But he's he's the best guy you can ever root for. Uh, just I, I can I tell you a quick story, Mike Conley story, real quick. Yeah, please. Um, so uh, I want to say it was the press conference where he signed his big uh, max contract, his largest contract in NBA history. At the time, it was open to season ticket holders. And I was a freshman in college. My parents had season tickets. You know, when, when you're that young, a lot of the times you really don't have anything to do during the day. So I went with a few friends, and that, that's when I started blogging. And um, I had, in, in the autograph line, I know it's really unprofessional to do this, but I had asked him, I told him, I said, hey, I just started writing up this blog. Like, I'd love for you to be my first interview. And he goes, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and go talk to that guy over there. And he uh, led me over to uh, the one of the heads of PR for the Memphis Grizzlies, and just well, I never got that full interview or anything that I was expecting, but I got a, a media day invite that uh, that season, and just kind of opened doors for me that I never thought would open, wow. and that that wouldn't be possible with that just how without how good of a guy that Mike Conley is. So I will always give Mike Conley my flowers. I'll give him respect. I mean, he's also he he's a uh, He's been an ambassador at St. Jude uh, for years, and um, my girlfriend's a patient there, or has been for eight years, and they built a really strong relationship just through him visiting and stuff like that. So Mike Conley will, will not receive any sort of, sort of hate in this playoff series. He, he's a guy that you root for for life. So that, that's my story time for, uh, for Mike Conley, I hope. <laughs> Utah fans enjoy that. Uh, can I, I'm going to ask you all a quick Conley question. I know last year was a bit rocky, and then he comes back in the bubble, balls out for you all in that first-round playoff series. Just talk about just like that shift in view on Mike Conley over the, the past, I guess, two years now. I can take that one because I'm an Ohio State guy. I spent a couple years out at Ohio State and loved Mike Conley. My dad went to the national championship game against Florida back in the day, and so I've always had a soft spot for Ohio State Mike Conley. Um, which leads to a little bit of a soft spot for Memphis, Mike Conley. So Mike Conley's one of my favorite non-jazz players for the past 10 years, and it's been a fun experience to have. As you mentioned, he wasn't the guy we'd hoped for and dreamed of um, last season, and he just kept at it, and just his attitude and his outlook. You know, a lot of jazz fans, and myself included, kind of got a little shaky and a little worried about what we had just given up all these assets for, 
And Mike Conley's confidence of, okay, well, I'll come back in the bubble and we'll figure it out, or I'll come back next season and figure it out. And then eventually he did. Um, his relationship with Gobert has just been a big, big deal this year, both on and off the court. But, you know, Mike Conley played with Marc Gasol for 10, 12 years to where Gasol's a little bit more of a uh, slow roller or even a pick-and-pop kind of guy, and Gobert's a, I'm going to the rim 100 times out of 100, so you better get me a lob. And that was a big adjustment for Mike, and once those two really figured out how to work together and how to utilize Gobert's skill set, it just opened up the world for Mike Conley. You know, obviously, he goes from this shaky player that we're a little worried about to, are we going to be able to afford to resign him this summer? Um, he makes an all-star team for the first time and all that fun stuff. And so having Mike Conley here on the Jazz and in the community has definitely been a, a great thing for the Jazz that we appreciate. And, you know, I'm a huge, huge cap nerd guy. And I just look at that trade, and there's a lot of trades in the NBA where both teams come out losing. And that was such a good, effective trade for both teams. I still have a little, some quirks with the Jazz side of it that I can't quite get over. But, you know, you guys get Kyle Korver, who you help swing for Melton. You guys get the cap, um, the trade exception that gets you Iguodala in a first-round pick. You know, you move Crowder down to Miami in that same deal uh, Iguodala. And so it was such a great deal that set both franchises on the path that they wanted to be, that it's going to be something I think we look back on in 10, 15 years and go, wow, that was a great trade that helped both parties involved. And that's pretty rare in today's NBA. Yeah, even that Conley trade, too. They, they were able to get guys like Grayson Allen and they used that Utah pick to trade up just two spots to hop Boston and go get Brandon Clark. And they have one more pick on the way, which I don't know how it's going to be used, but that's still another asset at their disposal. So I, I think it's a, a win-win for every, every party involved, for sure. I think with Conley, the interesting thing that for me watching the Jazz fan base and, you know, Conley fell victim to that first impressions thing with a lot of fans who call themselves Jazz fans, but they don't really watch any other teams in the league. So they're not going to watch Memphis a whole lot. They're not going to be very familiar with Mike Conley. So I think a lot of people expected this otherworldly all-star to come over last year. And when he struggled to start the season and and then he suffered that hamstring injury, he missed a bunch of games, and he just never really looked right with the Jazz last season. And offensively, it seemed like a lot of times the offense would bog down and they just didn't play as cohesively with Mike in the lineup. That first impression got into a lot of Jazz fans' heads, and they didn't know what to think about Mike. So it, initially, they're going to pile on and act like, oh, the Jazz got screwed in this trade. Why would they ever do this? And Mike has since said that you you basically need a degree in mathematics uh, to be able to learn Quinn Snyder's offense. And it's a very difficult transition for a point guard. And not just that, but it was... A totally different style of play than anything Mike ever had to do in Memphis with the the pick and pop that he played most of the time with Mark Gasol and then you come over here and play with Rudy and there's no popping on that screen but he's a great screen setter and so Mike had to learn how to throw more lobs he had to be more comfortable taking the wide open shots on the perimeter it wasn't something that he was used to being such a focal point offensively but I, I have loved to see the growth from him this year and for me personally, I, I kind of expect I okay, to say I expected this is too much, but I thought that Mike Conley had this ability the entire time. I was never worried about him being 
over the hill and is he just going to be a wasted contract this season this is the Mike Conley that I expected and that's not even mentioning everything that he does off the court you know you talked about some of the work that he's done at hospitals in the Memphis area and just what an incredible person he is I I think Mike Conley is easily the probably the second most important person behind this jazz team and not just the play on the floor, but it's everything else that he brings. It's the experience. He's by far the most experienced player on this jazz team with the the playoffs that he spent with Memphis. And so I love to, to see him finally get that all-star berth. I love to see it's not often you see a guy get traded and still have that entire fan base that he used to play for still love him. Like you said, you will not root against Mike Connolly. You may not actively cheer for him when he's, playing for the Jazz against the Grizzlies. But it sounds like, am I safe to say that if the Jazz end up winning this first-round series, you're going to be on that Jazz bandwagon? That's <laughs> Maybe that's too far. you gotta, you got to balance the Rudy hate what? and the Conley love. I told you, yeah. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a balance. Uh, I think if the Grizzlies do not advance, I'm just going to – I'll root for Utah to make the finals. How about that? But I would really like to go and see – I would really like to see like a team like <clears> – <throat> Uh, my team out east is, is uh, Miami. Like, that's my squad out east. I love Miami. Love the guys they have out there. I'd love to see them win it all. But realistically, I think it'd be really fun to see like a, a Utah and Philly series, like uh, Embiid versus Gobert. It's just to have just the makings of like a rivalry. That's a at, series. How to feel? That's a series I would hate the other team after two weeks, like for the rest of my life. That's a series that would get me emotionally <laughs> riled up with hatred. Um, Jazz Twitter would melt down. Oh, Twitter would melt down. Let's turn to the other side. You can take over this section if you have some ideas. If not, I have some numbers I'd love to ask you about. But what do you see that makes you believe that the Grizzlies are going to win this series, or at least have a chance to? I think what he's trying to say is, what do the Grizzlies need to do to be able to win this series? Lock Mitchell up. If Dylan Brooks, or Dylan Brooks can do to Donovan Mitchell, at least even what he did to DeMar DeRozan the other night, I think with DeRozan, he shot, DeRozan shot 2 of 10 against Dylan as the primary defender. And I think with Dylan, it's just also like the product of, sometimes there's that product of when you're guarding the other team's best guy every night, there's going to be a guy or two that ends up just having your number and cooking you. And Donovan Mitchell is a guy that has that. I mean, it wasn't even uh, Dylan Brooks that also gets cooked by my, I remember seeing, I think it was like Desmond Bain was, um, allowed Donovan Mitchell to go 10 and 11 with him as primary defender. Uh, Anthony Nelson struggled against him. He got Jonas Valanciunas out of drop coverage and killed him in the mid-range. It's crazy. The best, uh, the best, Jonathan Mitchell defender over the uh, regular season was Grace Allen for the Grizzlies. So I would I suggest that? No, I, I really wouldn't. But it's just going to come down to can they stop Jonathan Mitchell? Because their, their defense and their three-point attack, it, it could be enough to, you know, they, they would have to sweat, but they can probably win the series. But for Utah and for the Grizzlies to have a chance in this series, it's going to come down to stopping Jonathan Mitchell because he's the ceiling raiser for Utah. He's their guy on the perimeter. He's the go-to guy. He's going to get that shot when it matters most. He's going to take the most perimeter shots, and Dylan needs to keep up this run. And if he does that, I'm not going to say I like the Grizzlies' chances to win the series, but I like their chances to make it make Utah sweat a little bit. 
See, I was actually having this conversation about Donovan and him coming off of the injury earlier this morning, and I kind of disagree with you. Not that taking away Donovan would be very important for this Memphis team, but I think one of the luxuries that the Jazz have offensively is with Donovan coming back after missing more than a month with that ankle injury, they don't have to rely on him to come back and immediately average 26 a game again. He can ease his way back into the offense, and the offense can work themselves around reacclimating to Donovan because they have a lot of other guys that can score. You know, they've got two six-man-of-the-year candidates in Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. They've got Mike Conley who can pick up that scoring load and, and move from you know, 16 points a game up to 20 to 22 in the first round. They've got Rudy who can score 16 to 20 points uh, probably at least – three or four times in this series. So they have a lot of other options where they're not forced to rely solely on Donovan. And I, th- I think that's one of the big benefits that the Jazz have with their roster depth and the way that they've built primarily an offensive-focused team. That if Dylan Brooks can go out and take Donovan away and limit his, kill his field goal percentage, the Jazz still have other options. And I just don't know if Memphis has enough defensive depth to be able to stop everybody. No, oh, yeah, for sure. That, that's kind of where I am. The one thing that I'm really worried about from the Jazz perspective is uh, the Jazz just set the NBA record for um, fewest turnovers forced, uh, specifically the percentage. They only forced a turnover on about 10% of their possessions. Um, and on the flip side, I think the Grizzlies have a really good turnover differential themselves. So the Grizzlies are third, the Jazz are 29th in turnover differential. Um, that was really decided the game last night where, as you mentioned, the Warriors had 21 and the Grizzlies had 12. And with those extra nine possessions, the Grizzlies were able to get enough done to win the game. And so the Jazz have got to take care of the ball, but they also need to do something to try and disrupt the Grizzlies' offense. Because while the Grizzlies' offense might not be the most explosive, they play really, it's not grit and grind, but it's a lot of JV insights, a lot of athleticism from John Moran, not as much shooting. Um, The Jazz have really got to figure out a way to keep those shot attempts down so the shot makes don't follow uh, with the Grizzlies. Because... Uh, Jonas will just eat you inside as well as uh, John Moran gets to the rim whenever he wants and that's something the Jazz are going to have to figure out and I'm a little worried about but that's a different conversation for a different day and so just forcing the Grizzlies to be uncomfortable especially defensively is something I think the Jazz need to do more than just uh, Rudy Gobert protecting the rim Yeah for sure and I hope Rudy Gobert is so focused on protecting the rim that John Morant finally gets that poster dunk and just all of Rudy <laughs> There will Gobert. be one I'm willing to bet there will be a good John Moran dunk on Rudy Gobert in the series. Four 100%. games is way too many. Six games is way too many for it to not happen with how explosive John Morant is and how willing Rudy Gobert is to try and block dunks. Absolutely, yeah. It's going to be a fun series. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, and I think just how I'm at, everything at this point is gravy. I'm not going to if they get swept. I'm not going to worry if, if they lose in seven. I'm not going to be worried they win in seven, I'd be ecstatic. So it's, any playoff win, any good flashes that we see, it's great because at this point for the Grizzlies and in year two of the rebuild, the big focus is who is going to rise up in these moments, who's not going to fold in these moments because those are the guys. At this point, they're so deep, you got to kind of figure that out because you need to figure out how you need to build around John Morant going forward and you got to see who needs to stick around with him going forward. And I think the series can help accomplish that a little bit. So, Parker, as we start to wrap up here, we're kind of running short on time. Did you have any other questions for us about the Jazz or just about this series? Yeah, I'll go ahead and ask you this. Uh, what, like, Who would you say is like the X factor for you? I mean, Rudy is going to do Rudy. He's going to be 
phenomenal defensively. He's gonna his Raptor is gonna go through the roof. Uh, Mike Conley, he's great. Donovan Mitchell, he may be hobbled, but he he's a bucket. He's proven that he's one of the best young scorers in the league and in playoff situations. But who would y'all say is the X factor? And maybe even not even just for this series, but just if y'all want to win that title, who's gonna have to step up? It's Bojan. It, it's a hundred percent Bojan Bogdanovich because he has not shown an ability, whether it's him or whether it's the offense, they have not shown an ability to integrate Bojan effectively on a consistent basis when the rest of the team is healthy. When Mike and Donovan have missed games, Bojan has really stepped up and been a, a great scorer. He scored over 20 points several times over the last month when those two guys were out. But when everybody's on the floor and Bojan's missing three or four touches a game, he just doesn't... It, is engaged the right word, McKay? Does he not look quite as engaged? Yeah, he's just not quite ready to be a fourth or fifth player on a team. He's still in second or third. I don't want to say mindset. It's not an attitude problem by any means, but there's just some um, issues in trying to figure out who gets how many shots. Um, I was going to answer with Jordan Clarkson. I think long-term oh, okay. playoff-wise it is going on. But I think for this playoff series specifically, uh, Jordan Clarkson came out with a 90-50-40 guy the first six weeks of the season. He claimed the sixth man of the year award by the end of January, and he has just been awful since February 1st. Um, can't make a shot. He's under 40%. He's about 30% from three since February 1st. And the narrative's kind of held on long enough for him to still probably win sixth man of the year, although it's close. Um, but if Jordan Clarkson goes off and wins us a game this series, then we're going to win in four. And if Jordan Clarkson shoots us out of a game or two this series, that's when you get it to be a six or seven game series. So I think Jordan Clarkson's impact is specifically the one or two games where he's going to get up 20 plus shots. Uh, will determine if this is a four-game series or a seven-game series, in my opinion. Okay, can I ask one more question? Yeah. Just maybe oh, a 30-second response. It seems like the six-man-of-the-year race is between, ironically enough, Ingles and Clarkson. I've seen debates both sides, and who do y'all have? People get mad that Ingles has started 30 games. The only 30 games Ingles has started this year is when Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley has been injured, and that's what you want from your six-man is to step up and be a starter when one of your first five guys is hurt. Um, Joe Ingles is way more efficient. He passes the ball to his teammates. He plays defense. He helps rebound. Um, Clarkson's great, but as I said, he kind of just had a dominant first six weeks and has just kind of glided the rest of the way. And so I have Ingles 100%. And that, it's about 50-50 right now. I think we're at about 15, 20 votes have been publicly revealed, and it's like 10-10. So we'll see where it all lands. But I have Joe Ingles, and I believe Brian's the same. Yep. Yeah, we're on the same page with that one. I think Joe is far more impactful across the board. The thing with the sixth man of the year is it's about scoring. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Jordan win it. And I think both of them deserve it in, they're in different ways. So I'm not going to argue either way because it's going to go to a jazz man in the end. Also, by the way, I love Kyle Anderson for the same reasons as Joe Ingles, where he just does everything well, and it just helps your team win. Um, so I'm a huge Kyle Anderson guy. And they, we, our slow-mo Joe might not actually be the slowest guy in this series, which will be a unique <laughs> thing to watch. Yeah, no, no. So. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle's awesome, no, for sure. We, I hope we get a quarter where it's just Kyle and Joe going one-on-one because they'll take up the whole 24 seconds of the shot clock every play, and it'll be fun. So I'm excited for that matchup, although it might not be the most fast-paced, entertaining matchup. The uh, minds of Joe Ingles and Kyle Anderson should be a fun little twist on this series. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be fun. I, I'm excited. Uh, I don't I don't hate the Jazz. I, I like Mitchell. I like, obviously love Conley. Ingles, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, it's going to be a fun series. I, I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited for the Grizzlies to kind of get these, this playoff experience now. 
McCade, do you want to make a prediction in this series? I have Jazz in five with it leaning more towards six than it is four. I just don't think the Jazz are going to be able to match the Grizzlies' physicality for four games. We saw it when they played three times in six days early in the season. The Grizzlies just tire you out so much that I think you're going to get at least one Jazz game where they just come out so flat and get blown out by 20, 25 points. Um, and by the end of the day, I think the Jazz are just too talented and the Grizzlies are a team that, unlike the Clippers who are just switch everything, the Grizzlies are a team I think that are going to struggle, not necessarily defensively, but defense, their defensive system is going to struggle to slow down the Jazz offensive system to the point where they're able to take care of Mendes and win in five or six games. Parker, are you a prediction guy? Do you want to offer one? I'm going to say uh, Jazz in six, very sadly. I tend to agree with McCade. I think the Jazz are going to win this series in five games. It's going to be... The uh, prototypical gentleman's sweep. I think the Jazz probably win the first two at home. They go back to Memphis. And uh, how many fans are they going to be allowing in the in the grindhouse? You see, last game it was a little over 7,000. But uh, as beat writer uh, Mark Giannato had a commercial appeal pointed out, Nashville's allowed to have 12,000 plus for theirs. And Utah's getting 13,000. So I'm yeah. hoping that they bump that capacity up a little bit. Okay. So Philly, New York, um, I believe Miami, like six yeah, or Miami's seven, on that list. Teams have already come out, and they're like, yeah, we're going like seventeen thousand plus. So I'm assuming the Grizzlies will follow through. I think the Celtics are full capacity actually by game three. So I'm sure we'll hear more about the Grizzlies throughout the week, but I'd be pretty shocked if they stayed under ten thousand. Well, I I do think that the Jazz are going to go down to Memphis. They're probably going to lose game three with the Grizzlies. They're, they'll get in front of that home crowd, and the the young players are going to get all hyped up. And then the Jazz are going to win four and five, clinch back here in Utah. And similar reasoning to what McCade said. I just think the Jazz have too much too much depth. They have too much talent. Uh, I believe these teams match up really well with each other. I wouldn't be surprised to see them meet in the playoffs you know, three, four times over the next five years. I think it would be a lot of fun because they, you know, just they're both exciting, fun teams. And you said it, Parker. I think you mentioned it earlier in the pod how. This Grizzlies team isn't the the team that a lot of people remember. The grit and grind, Conley, Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol, Tony Allen Grizzlies teams. This is much more of a a fast-paced, up-and-down creation type of a squad. And the Jazz are very similar in that way. It's not the Stockton Malone pick-and-roll team, slow it down and win games 88-84 style that Jazz fans are had been used to for so many decades it's i mean this jazz team is the best three-point shooting team in the league and so i think this is going to be a really exciting series and just the fact that it's a one eight matchup is not indicative of how much talent is going to be on the floor for both of these teams and i'm so i'm really looking forward to it parker where can our listeners find you if they want to follow your grizzlies coverage through this first round absolutely yeah you can find me on twitter at paka underscore flocka kind of like Waka Flocka a little bit. That's a great name. uh, Thank you. But I'm always big in supporting the homies. So make sure you go follow SBN Grizzlies for all the best Grizzlies coverage at Grizzly Bear Blues. And you can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, thank you. We really appreciate you joining us. McCade, where can I find you? Uh, At McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You know me tweeting out my graphs and visuals and all that fun stuff. So you guys know what to do. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. And Home Court Press at Home Court underscore press. And I'm going to do my best. I will be in the stands for games one and two. 
So I'll take some pictures and make sure everybody knows what it feels like to be in the Viv 13,000 strong. But McKay, do you want to wrap it up? Take note.